Hello, listeners, and welcome to Sober Town. This is King13 joining you today on the train, and I'm going to be joined by my wonderful friend here, and we're going to take on a really, really sensitive subject. Uh, before we do that, though, I want to give a shout-out to the I Am Sober community. Uh, it is a free app you can download. It counts your alcoholic free days, and you can post and follow people and make friends. And also, there are groups that have uh, actually developed from that, so we have a lot of support within the community. And as added support, we also have Sober Town that was born a year ago by a gentleman called Drifter. And all of us that contribute, they're actually from the I Am Sober community. And he's put together a lot of tools and resources. And we have people's brave stories. We have lots of things that are going to help you, book recommendations. So please, when you're done listening to us, uh, have a little look around the website. I think you'll find that anytime, any day, it's a one-stop shop. We'll have something there for you. Now, today we're going to take on a really sensitive subject. I've thought about this subject for many, many months because it's basically I'm quietly, well, I'm not quietly, I'm a lot affected by it. And it's grief. And um, this particular lady, I want to say good morning to this lady who has also had, well, more than somebody should in the time period that she's had it in. So she was my first choice today to start off and we're going to have several people actually contributing so this is going to be a part series and this is going to basically be part one so look out for the rest so tomorrow this morning I want to just say because it is Monday morning so that's why I've got my tongue a little bit a little bit twisted I want to say a really good morning to my really good friend Squirrel Monkey how are you good morning thanks for the invite yeah, God, I tell you what, it's been a it's been a weekend. I was just saying to you, I think I've done like six zooms this weekend. So it's been a, it's been a lot of conversation, a lot of learning, and a lot of listening. So it's been good. Now, this subject, you and I, you're brave enough to tell me a story a while back, which is on Sobertown Podcast. And the more I spoke to you, we seem to be discussing another one passing and another one passing. And didn't I say to you at one point, uh, how many do we have here? Remember? And it was what, within five years? Do you want to just yeah. just, just briefly go back and just, yeah, tell the listeners if they haven't listened about yeah. what we're talking about. So um, I've had a lot of loss in my life the last couple of years. Um, my brother passed away four years ago in January. Um, and then my mother passed away three years ago. It'll be in June. My father passed away. It'll be coming up a year in July. But um, right after my mom passed away, two of my coworkers um, committed suicide. It was during the COVID pandemic. So, and, and one of them did it at work. So yeah, a, a lot of grief. And then you throw in the middle of all of that, I had an engagement fall apart. So that also added and kind of compounded to the grief that, that I've had to deal with over the years. So it's, it's a lot to come on very quickly. It is. And there's different types of grief. Let's just start mm -hmm. there by putting it out there. We're not professionals. There is no right and wrong. We are just talking from our personal experiences. And whilst I did do, as I do a lot of research, this is what came out that, and I'm going to say this before we start, there's a show in Australia called um, Insight. It is on a channel called SBS, which is an independent foreign, foreign channel, so it has no, you know, um, commercials. And they do documentaries and they have a host and they have people in the audience and they were talking about grief. And, you know, it's interesting because they said that they actually want to make it a disorder because there is normal grief and then there is 
times when people just cannot get over it for whatever reason and they're stuck. And so they actually are putting it to the medical industry now to say, look, this is a disorder and we need to address it as such because what they were saying on this particular show was everybody that had gone to their primary care physician or their doctor, the doctor had said, well, how long has it been was the first question. They said six months. Oh, okay. If they said to 12 months, they said, well, you should be over it now. by now. That's what they said to them, prescribed them anti-anxiety and sent them on their way. And that was each and every one of them. And they said, that's not the issue. I'm not, de- I'm not depressed. I'm sad. I miss them. And that's what the definition of grief is. It's like how the brain processes loss. Mm-hmm. There is no right or wrong way. Yeah, I, I think that's fantastic that they're going to do that, that they're willing to do that because grief in the United States is an unspoken thing. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to face death. Nobody wants to talk about death. Nobody wants to deal with grief or, or help you deal with it. The, the answer to those that are not grieving is basically, let's just medicate you until you get over it. Right. And it's a profound loss. You don't get over loss. You don't go through it and it's all better. You are profoundly and permanently changed by that. So just the, the answer of just medicating until you get over it, that's ridiculous. So I, I think that's a fantastic, a fantastic start. I really wish that I could see more of that in the U.S., yeah, and look, I'll put you onto it because it's on YouTube so you can actually have a look at the program. So what, with all this that has happened to you, and let's talk about you, how have you dealt with it? Because I can remember, I was there with you, remember when we first met. This was really COVID time, in the thick of it. You were stressed yeah. to the max and you were hit with a lot of things. And I can say today, looking at you, thank the Lord, you are looking so much better. And I I can tell you're in a much better space. But go back to how you dealt with that, because you must have thought, well, what were your thoughts going through all that? You know, um, at the time, it's a lot, it was a lot different than it is now. Um, My brother, for example, it's, it's been longer for him and he had medical issues. And I can look back now and I remember being little and being told because my brother was a type one diabetic. I can remember being told, you know, your brother's going to be lucky to see 50. And that didn't hit me until I turned 50 this year. And I'm like, Oh my God, I outlived my brother. (laughs) So that was hard. But at the time I didn't, I, I just knew he was there and then he was gone. He was just gone. There was no preparation, no nothing. And that was hard. And then it was different with my mother as well, because I learned later that what we were dealing with was anticipatory grief. She had been diagnosed with leukemia. So we knew she was going to pass away and we got to kind of prepare for that. And I got to spend some very precious time with my mom when she was dying and that I probably would never have done had I not known she was dying because we weren't close, but anticipatory grief is not the same as true grief and true loss. And I was not prepared for that. And it hit me so unbelievably hard because I was like, you know, my mom's gone. My daughter's grown up. I'm on my own. I have fulfilled all of the things I'm supposed to fulfill in life. I raised a fabulous kid, but I, I don't have my mom anymore. And so that was kind of hard, but it didn't really dawn on me that what I was feeling at that point was really full on grief. It wasn't until my first coworker had committed suicide. And I'm like, 
I'm just falling apart. I, my person to call was gone. I'm like, I don't have my mom to talk to about this. I don't have mm-hmm. that one person that could call anytime day or night and just dump my life on. And it hit me and it was actually the hospice pass, uh, the hospice chaplain that contacted me and said, Hey, how you doing? And I just lost it and just fell apart. And he turned me on to a grief program called grief share. And it's through a church, but you don't have to, you don't have to go through a church. You don't have to be a, a Christian or a believer in any way. You can still do the grief share process. And it was actually that, that probably helped me to cope the most because, you know, nobody can prepare you even through anticipatory grief. Nobody can prepare you for that massive loss you have in your life. And it was through losing my mom that I started to realize how much I lost with my brother and then losing my coworker. And that affected me a lot because it completely changed the dynamic of, of my work life as well. So, um, honestly getting through it, I've had to just take, take a step at a time and, and, you know, just work through it. And I am thankful that therapy and my, my glowing is, as you've called it is it's through talking it out. It's through having amazing people in my life to talk it out with and realizing I wasn't alone and that I still had the ability to talk about it. And that if I wanted to, I could. And if I didn't want to, I had certain people that understood that now's not the time to talk about it. And I had to learn to practice grace with myself. That was probably the biggest thing is practicing grace with myself. And isn't it interesting, just like sobriety, we need support, whether it's grief, when it's overwhelming, and it's something that you have never experienced before, like sobriety, hello, and obviously the grief, and you're right about one thing, no one can prepare you just like with sobriety of what's going to happen, no one, and um, so your mum, you had time to, okay, this is not looking good, that was like me with my dad, but you, mm-hmm. your, your brother was quick. My brother was sudden. I was actually out on a hike with a friend of mine. We were getting ready to start on a trail and getting ready to lose cell phone service. And my sister called. If my sister calls me, it is bad news. Oh. And <laughs> I collapsed right there on the trail. Oh, I, I, I did not expect it. It was um, one of the years that the flu was really, really bad. And he was on dialysis and he got the flu and um, was taking flu medicine or cold medicine. And we don't know if it was the combination of the dialysis and the cold medicine, or if he had a heart attack, or if it was just the diabetes finally just got the worst of it out of the way and, and just took him home. But yeah, I was on a, I was getting ready to go on a hiking trail. And for those of you that know me know that I hike to cope. And that was supposed to be a pleasant day. And um, I cannot go on that trail without thinking of my brother at all anymore. Um, I can finally go on it and not cry. But when I get to that point on the trail where I literally collapse, every time I stop, I touch a tree and I talk to my brother because that will be forever ingrained in my memory of when I found out he was gone. And that's the thing, you know, Grief, and um, you can feel just it's such obviously a huge, huge loss with grief, but you've got to let it out and you've had your cries. Mm-hmm. I've had plenty and plenty and plenty of cries, and some cries of which when I was inebriated, I think I was going over and over and cried a million times. I have my yeah. first, first dog. 
you know, over the miscarriages, over the dog. It was, it always, in fact, it's really interesting because every single time when I got, when I drank too much alone at home, sitting out the backyard playing the music, was when I would I'd go from playing the music, ha, 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 rah, 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 to tears over all the losses that I've had in my life. And now I look back, I see such a pattern. God, it was a sad, lonely, bloody life when I think about it. It sounds so sad coming out of my mouth. Like, no wonder why the neighbours must have thought I was bloody cuckoo or something. <laughs> she's a party for one all the time and then she's a bloody bucket of tears for one. But, yeah, uh, yeah you know, those sort of thought things hit you and it's only been getting out of, I think, for me, San Diego and getting away from everything because both myself and my husband, we've both lost our parents and it's happened. Yeah. You know, recently my mum's only been three too, but I still talk to them and we can get into that. But, you know, here's the thing too. They do say that, you know, that there's basically persistent and complicated grief. It's a real thing. It really is. And so you have to do the work, like you said, whether it's hiking, therapy is definitely a session. I'm yeah. a therapist. Um I don't know whether it worked or not, but we got to talk. You know, I, yeah. she just listened. She didn't say much, but that's okay. You get it out. And then I think I, it's different also depending on the type of loss because mm-hmm, with my it brother, is, it is, it is. My, my family was very much estranged, estranged. And with my brother, um, I was having to face that, that loss by myself. And the way that I was taught to face difficult situations is you just compartmentalize it and you don't look at it again. And that was difficult because I didn't get to share in that with my mother. I didn't get to share in that with, with my sister. And my daughter was off in college and you don't dump that on your kids. They, they don't understand. You, you've no. got a 20 year old and, and they don't understand that they're, they're still invincible. They don't understand the loss. So that was different. And I basically just compartmentalized it. And it wasn't until my mom died that that all came out. It, all of that pain, all of that heartache, every bit of it all came out. And I was like, wow, I have not dealt with the loss of that. And with your, with your parents, whether it's your mom or your dad, they're, they're that person that you go to, or at least for me, it was, but, um, with my brother, it was different because, you know, we were 14 months apart and I really started processing it more after my mom's death because it dawned on me, you know, he's got a kid and he's never going to see his kid graduate high school. He's never going to see his son um, go to college or get married or have grandchildren. And here I, it was hitting me that, you know, I turned 50 and even before I turned 50, I was like, wow, I've, I've already outlived my brother when I was 48. You start to think of it differently than you do when you lose your parents. And I don't know. I just, I had to process that part a lot different. And it it was more of a profound sadness. And it was nice to look back on my brother later on and go, wow, you know, the brother I knew was not the brother that my sister knew. And it took two years for us to be able to share stories about my brother um, and to reconcile the person I knew to the person that my sister knew. And that of course then creates more sadness because, you know, they tell you that there's the, what is it? Well, five stages of grief, but nobody tells you, you might live through all five of those stages every single day for the rest of your life. And it started with his, with losing him first. You do, you do. And those five can come 
in no particular order at any particular mm-hmm. time. That's the, and once you accept that, you can rec- again recognize it. Once you're educated about grief, because it does come, and it's very different for for you do you feel different things for different people. I, I okay. agree with you. You know, um, they were saying. You know, I was talking to you before. They're going to call it INDSM. This thing that they're trying to get changed with the medical um, board, and it's persistent complex bereavement disorder. But it still needs further study. So let's keep an eye on that one, people. Yeah, and that's basically too when it gets. You know, it affects your ability to function day to day. When and some people do get you know, really, really, really bad. Um, but you've got to obviously seek help and pills, people, you know, maybe they're not always the answer. I think that we need to try and do other things. But, um, I mean, I'm on an antidepressant myself, a low dose, but that's for anxiety. That was before. And um, I will continue to do that. And some of us do need that just to take the edge off. I really believe I don't have, like, I do believe that I um, have depleted a lot of my dopamine and it's mm. just not there. And I think it was my own fault. So um, I'm taking a little aid to help that get back up there at the moment. Um, I started I th- taking something after my mom died. I mean, for me, it was more of a, it would be a quick anxiety, almost like a panic attack that would come yeah. on, especially after my mom died. And um, I think the reason for that was more because shortly after my mom died, my coworker committed suicide and I couldn't go in. I couldn't park in the same parking lot at work without thinking about him. And that would just set off this massive attack. Well, then it would bring on, okay, well that would, that would be a struggle. And then I'd start thinking about my mother and then I would start thinking about my brother. So I started taking something occasionally just to help me just calm down um, instead of getting all worked up about it. Yeah, and my mum had a history and was on, as I found out after her passing, and her passing was within six hours. So it was really quick. You know, mm-hmm. 7 o'clock I get the phone call, I'm at the hospital at 8 and at 1. She didn't, 9.30 they told her she's not coming back. And it was just like that was horrible. Whereas with my father I had probably 18 months and it was every day at the hospital and it's exhausting. So having mm-hmm. experience and luck, luckily, and I do say luckily, I was in Australia at both times and I have, I've been back to Australia yeah. once since that and I had to go back for an emergency to help my, my sister. But I'm like you, I go to pick up the phone when she's not there because I used to ring mum every day and probably to my detriment why she used to worry because I did tell her everything. And when you're in your 20s, she used to love it because, you know, it was exciting, but it was usually, oh, mum, can, can dad come and get me? I've crashed another car or something like that. You know, it was just, but, you know, she used to worry, 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 worry. And then, but she was, she was tough, but she was good. And I do, I go, I still go to, I hear her all the time. I hear her more now today than I ever have. I said something yesterday and she said something back to me that what she would actually say. And I thought, oh, God, here we go. Here we go. Because you and I have very similar timelines with our mums. Yeah. yeah. I had about, I guess it was about a year from the time. I was close to a year from the time my mom was diagnosed with leukemia until she passed away. And so my work schedule at that time allowed me to go because we did not live near each other. And um, it allowed me to take time off every other week and go spend it with her. And so for every other week for almost a year, I was spending three or four days with my mom and she lived in assisted living, but for the most part, she was able to stay on her own. And so that was nice. And it was kind of funny because 
we never really liked each other and we, we were not close. Um, I am very stubborn. I am very hardheaded. Basically I'm identical to my mother. So we just didn't get along. Same. But after, <laughs> after, you know, after she got sick and I started spending more time with her, I was just like, you know what, we're going to go out, we're going to have fun. And, um, it was, it was a blessing in that way. And I can remember going to lunch with her one day and I was sharing dating online dating stories with her. Cause she was all worried about me being single and didn't want me to be alone. And I would, share stories with her. And she just stops in the middle of lunch, lunch one day. And she's like, you're really fun. I really like being with you. And I'm like, it only took 40 some odd years for you to figure this out. <laughs> but that's been a precious moment for me because after she died, my big thing was I would go home from work and every um, Sunday night leaving work, I would call her on my car. And so that was my big thing. And, and that first Sunday I got in my car after she died, I'm like, oh crap, I can't call her. And that was a profound thing for me for quite a while was getting in the car and thinking, oh, I should call my mom and be like, oh, I can't. So um, that, that was definitely quite the change. Um, you know, I can't decide which is better to, if it's sudden or if it's knowing it's coming. I don't know either if either one of them is easier. And with my dad, I didn't get to do that kind of time with him. I didn't get to spend that kind of time with him. But I did get a, a good visit with him while he was still cognitively there. But I didn't get that time with him towards the end. And I was there and I did get to spend some time with him at the hospital as he was dying, but he wasn't, he wasn't with me. And, and by then I'd already had so much loss in my life. I was not, I was not able to, to cope with it. And so I was drinking a lot more during that time, but I, and now I can look back and, and be glad for the things I've done and, and I can have happy moments. And, and that's been important to me, but nobody prepared me for it. And, and it was, it was just hard. So I felt profound sadness and, and blame and anger and if onlys and I don't know, it was just, it was just, it was different with each one of them. Yeah, and it's the way you look at it too. I think, you know, I mean, grief is what it's, it's the pain, the pain's the love, right? That's what it is. Yeah. So I would much rather do that though. I would much rather, you know, you, you take leaps of faith in everything you do in life. And and I'm gotten pretty good at standing on the precipice and jumping off with both feet and waiting to see what happens. But I would much rather endure all of the heartache and all of the pain because it, if you're hurting, it means you loved. And, right. and I'll right. do that every time. And they say that you hold the love and you put it somewhere just like you say it, and that's what I do. I look at them like beautiful little, you know, heart jewelry boxes, and you put mum and dad in there, and you put the dog in there, and you put the miscarriages there, and you put, you know, whatever there, and you've got them all there, and it's called your life, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. Um, you can go there, and you can talk to them, and you can access them. It's not the same. It's taken me a long, long time, and I still have moments, but it is hard to believe you're not going to see them again. Yeah, because that's been my reason for going back to Australia, going straight to mum's and seeing how she is. Um, yeah. I mean, mum and I were volatile too. We, she used to say to me, "I can't live with you, and I can't live without you." <laughs> but I know now we were very, very similar too. And yeah. I know that my drinking, mum gave up drinking in her forties, and my dad, my stepdad, never drank. So I know it was something they wished for me. And so you know, it's sad that they'll never get to see that. But hopefully, when we get upstairs, there might be a chance. <laughs> I'm going upstairs. So you know, but and again, 
not drinking now, I am dealing with it so much better. Mm-hmm. I've been able to find the 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 upside as much as there can be an upside in, in losing right. people in right. real life. Have, I've right. been able to find the joy again, I guess is the way to put it. Because yeah. especially when I started drinking more heavily, when my relationship ended, um, I was not finding joy in life. I was, I was just angry and I was bitter and I was just mad at everybody. And honestly, that made, that's what made me drink more because I'm like, alcohol has screwed up my life and it's ruined so much of my life. And you know what? I'll just, I'll just join the party and just be done with it. And um, it wasn't until after my dad had died and, and I was like, you know what, this, this is not serving me. It's not helping me. It's not helping my friendships. It's not helping my relationships. And then I quit that. That was when I was finally able to find the joy. And honestly, my dad's not been gone a year, but I'm finding the joy easier. Um, case in point last, this last year, I went to Colorado and climbed a mountain with my hiking partner while I was out visiting one of visiting my girlfriend in Colorado. And when I got done, I was so excited and I was still drinking back then, mind you, which I had quit drinking for like two weeks beforehand because you don't want to climb a mountain when you're drinking. So I had stopped drinking for like two, two or three weeks. But when I got done climbing that mountain, um, I called my daughter from the mountain. I called my best friend from the mountain. But when we got back down, I called my dad and I'm like, dad, you wouldn't believe what I just did. I climbed an effing mountain. And his response was just deadpan, total sarcasm. Well, shit. (laughs) And that has resounded with me ever since because that was my dad. You know, he, he was just, he loved the, the adventure and he just was always amazed at, at just anything in life. And he was encouraging. And, and to this day, that brings me joy. In fact, I have a favorite hiking hat that is getting embroidered on it right now. Well, shit. So that when I go back to, to climb another mountain, he'll be with me. And, you know, with my mom, I didn't, I wasn't ready to do that. And with my brother, I didn't do that. But with my dad, I have hit that joy spot so much faster. And I don't know if it's because I have processed so much grief that I can recognize it more now and and through going through counseling and stuff and doing my grief share class, or if it's not drinking and, and not hiding from the emotions, maybe that's part of it as well. Maybe it's all kind of in tuned, but without the alcohol, I've definitely been able to find the joy a lot quicker. And so that's what I turn towards now is trying to find that joy. Yeah. Look, you know, you can pay tribute with pain for so long and then you've got to get on with it. Right. You know, yeah. you really do. Life does go on. And mum always said that to me, life will go on. <laughs> my dad used to say, my dad was such a pessimist, God. And if he'd listen to new music or something really weird or you see something on telly, he'd say to me, oh, it's all shit. <laughs> I said to him, that's what I'm going to stick on your tombstone. He said, you can't, I'm an atheist. Dad was just so matter of fact. He got no idea. And he used to say to me, if I if he listened to me doing this podcast now, he'd be saying to me, Oh, crikey, that wind's gone up your ass again and twisting your tongue. That's what he'd say to me. <laughs> Dad, you know, because I was in sales for so long, but he was right. He'd come up with all these sayings and he'd say, Oh, the sights you see when you haven't got a gun. Now he'd say that if he could see all the twerking that goes on these boats down here with all these g-strings but you know that sort of thing i just had a, a saying for everything i just adored him he was just great and um mum was lost without him and she mm-hmm. really fell apart and this complicated grief and what you had with the multiple is called compounded grief because you've had multiple mm-hmm. losses within a, a short period of time so recognize that there are different types of grief nobody's going to tell you 
how to grieve. There is no way. I do agree with you. They give you little booklets and stuff. I did read them because they do Mm -hmm. help and then go and get some therapy. But don't let your doctor just tell you that you or don't invalidate your feelings because they're valid. Because Mm -hmm. nobody knows the relationship you have with that particular person. My love for my parents and even my mum, I adored my mother. I I couldn't do enough for her. I wanted, I idolised her. I just wanted to always please her. Sometimes to my detriment, you know, it didn't matter how many times she kicked me, I would, of course she would go back. She's my mother. But then looking back, I deserved a lot of that because I was drinking heavily and the drinking was the compound of a lot of our issues. So mm-hmm. I wasn't taking responsibility back then like I am now. So obviously, gee, I wish I was having this conversation with her. She'd be wrapped. <laughs> She'd be saying to me, now, don't you change. Don't you bloody go back to how you used to be. See, I can hear her. Um, and that's what I do now, and I can laugh, and I have some joy in it. Yeah. And uh, there's a little photo of mum and dad, and they've travelled the world with me. It goes in every suitcase there. You know, you open it up, and they're side by side, side by side, and, you know, I have that. So it's whatever makes you – another girlfriend used to do that too that travelled with me when we were working. We keep photos of our parents. It's little things that are personal to you. And, again, like sobriety, mm-hmm. it's a personal journey, right? Yeah. My sister, she's kind of a hoarder. She hangs on to everything and I'm not that way. And I I, I get my, my remembrances and and mementos about my family from, from silly things. For example, when my grandfather died, I I cut off a piece of um, just a little bit of an Ivy vine off of the wall of his house. And everywhere I've moved since then, a piece of that has come with me. And I've been in my, my new house for not quite two years. And I've got just that little piece that's gone from place to place. It's in a pot. And this year I get to plant it. And so for me, when I'm working out in the yard, when I see that Ivy, I think of my grandfather and there's been different things, whether like I've got a rock with a metal snail on it of all things that was from my mom's house. And that reminds me of my mom. So every morning when I walk my dog and I come back in the house, I see that rock with that snail on it on my front porch. And I think of my mom. So I think of something positive that way. Um, my brother, it, it's a little more sarcasm. There's, I've got a couple of little trinket things in the house that, that make me think of him. And, but for my dad, honestly, it's the adventurous side of me. I got my adventurous spirit from him and he did more of like the coast guard stuff and, and diving and boating. And, and I would much rather be in the mountains and, and stuff like that. But those are the things I look at now. And that definitely helps. It really does. I, one of the main things I learned when I was going through my grieving process, whether it was through heartbreak from my relationship or from losing my brother or losing my mom or losing my friends at work and even my dad, um, at first I was trying to look for comfort in not just in, in alcohol or, or anything like that, but I was trying to talk to people about it. that would never been through grief before. And I think that was my big mistake. And I'm sorry, but a lot of our doctors are young and they've not been through loss. And, um, it wasn't until my mother died and, and I realized, oh my God, my coworker years ago lost her father suddenly. And it never dawned on me. I was not empathetic enough. And so I actually reached out to her and we went out for coffee and I apologized to her. I said, I was not empathetic towards you. And I did not understand. And it it takes going through loss to be able to share that grief with people. 
Um, and that was when I learned it's okay to sit on my floor and cry. It's, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel blame. It's okay to do all of these things, but it wasn't until I started sharing that grief process with people that have been through it before that made a big difference. Yeah, I think you're right. And I remember my best friend, she lost her dad um, because she was the youngest. And you're young. I mean, I'm nearly, I'm 60 this year. So, and my stepdad was 11 years older than my mum, but my, even my biological father died at 77. So I have, the three parents are gone and I, my mum had me at 22. So I'm kind of young to have no, and I don't have any family in Australia. All my family that I've got left is in Wales. And funnily enough, my mum's only sister, her husband's just passed and she is a Sorry, Aunty Beryl, but you're a complete mess. She is. She knows she is. She's in hospital currently. It's her seventh time. She's not coped. He's been with her her whole life. And this is where I've been independent and now uh, dependent on my husband as since I've been in America. But she misses him because he did everything for her. And it's really interesting because mm-hmm. my father was the same with my mother. And whilst they think they're doing them a favour, gentlemen, you are not. These women are now hopeless without their partners. Mum was with stepdad 44 years. My aunt, he was with um, only man she ever knew, my Uncle Peter, who passed away. So it must have been something like 70 years that they were together or something, something 60, 65 years or something. And now she's in hospital and she's got this house and she believes that everybody's out together. She doesn't trust anybody. And this is actually normal because she had such faith that that was the only man that guided her life and protected her is gone. Yeah. Yeah. In my grief class, I'd not thought about it before, but in my grief class, one of the gentlemen in there was talking about losing his wife and um, he, and he just had this profound sadness and he said, you know, I, I can cook. He said, I'm, I'm not useless. I can, I can feed myself. He said, but that was her thing was to, was to cook the meals and he took care of the house. And it wasn't until she wasn't there and he no longer had the casseroles and he longer, no longer had the box meals. And he just wanted a good home cooked meal and there was no one there to cook it for him. So he had to cook it himself. And he said, you know, that was harder for him to do that than it was to go to the grocery store, go to the hot bar, because a lot of the grocery stores, at least in my area, um, have buffets or they did before COVID. And he would go to the hot bar and he would he would get um, like the meat, whether it was the roast or the turkey or the ham. And he would take that home because that was the part that made him think of his wife the most was the meat of the meal and her making the meat of the meal. And that brought him the most sadness. And it kind of hit me because I thought of all the things for that, for him to get sad about, it was the the hearty meat part of a meal. But then I thought more about it. I'm like, you know, that was the heartiness and and that was what she did for him. What's the core? And then there was an, yeah. And then there was another lady. She immediately piped in. She said, for me, it's the trash can. And I looked at her and I'm like, what? And she said, my husband always emptied the trash. And the first time I had to empty the trash by myself, she said she fell on the floor just in massive amounts of grief. So it's the little things that you don't think about that will, will just, just wrench your heart out because, you know, that was what they did. And then, and then they're not, they're doing it anymore. No, you're right. And, and and expect the unexpected. I can remember at my father's service, and we had both mum and dads in the same because it was in a, little, a country town of 100,000 people. Um, 
and it was a room, you know, whatever. And it was it was intimate. It was nice. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, the uh, you know, dad's there doing the thing and everything. And mum just jumped out of her chair and went straight up and grabbed the microphone. And I just, my eyes just went sharply to the right to my sister. And she's looking at me going, I don't know. And I said, what the hell's going on? And mum just got up there and she said, she said, I'm Pauline, you know, <laughs> this is my husband. We were together 44 years. I, from the day I met him, I loved him. I loved him then. I loved him now. And I always will. And she just did that and sat down. And I to this, I just looked at Kerry because we thought, what the hell's going to happen here? Mind you, with mum, we buried her with her cigarettes, her book and her lighter because she could never give up smoking. And I can remember, this is the craziest thing. Mum had an open casket just for the family. It was just behind a curtain and it was mainly for me. And I, I we did it with dad and because dad had passed away at home, he had fallen and then I had to deal with it. And mum was the mess in the bedroom. So you can imagine that scenario. And I was actually very good in it. But he passed away at home. So, you know, and that was Father's Day. So that was not a good day for that to happen. But they wheeled him out in the sunshine. And and Dad loved that um, Willie Nelson song, On the Road Again, because he always took us on road trips. So that was the song that we sent him off to. You know what I mean? That's but awesome. <laughs> again, with Mum, I remember playing a song for her behind there, open casket saying, Mum, and God forbid, Mummy, I'd been drinking, I do confess. And it was in the morning and I'd had a drink. And I was, but I was okay. And I said, Mum, I'm going to play some favorite songs for you. And I'm sitting there on my mobile, sit next to my dead mother playing her songs. She looked beautiful. She's got her book and her cigarettes. And I said, You look beautiful, Mum. And I'm chatting to her. Yeah. And I remember this woman I didn't know came through around the corner. And it was my um, brother in law's mother. And she put this friend, and I was so angry that she had come and intruded on my privacy. The fact that mm -hmm. I only had so many seconds left. It was a very interesting. You don't know what. And my point is with my mum, mummy, you don't know what your emotions are going to be at that yeah. particular time. And I'm still angry to this day that that woman who apparently said she knew my mum, who I'd never met, had got an eyeful of my mother. Well, my, you know, you know, she was just a shell. It doesn't, mum would have said to me, oh, you stupid bitch, don't worry about it, you know. <laughs> but it's, it's so personal. And, you know, I had yeah, some other I had mother friends. I had another couple of girlfriends and two would not come and see mum. They didn't want to see her. But she's like, they're like, no, 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 we're not doing it. And one did. But, again, it's a personal yeah. thing. We didn't invite everybody. We just invited, you know, extended family that, you know, might were best friends and stuff. But, yeah. yeah. You don't That's know. how my mom's was. It, it was very small and it was very personal. And, um. We, we each dealt with it differently. Um, my mom was cremated and I had talked to my mom beforehand because I told her I would like to have some of her ashes so that I could have um, a, a remembrance thing made. And my sister was livid and she's, we have very different spiritual belief systems and she was absolutely livid and convinced that my mom was not going to move on in the world and, and how I was just doing something absolutely awful. And up until the day of my mom's service, my sister barely spoke to me. And finally, I'm like, I cannot believe you were isolating me and leaving me out of our mother's service and excluding me from the entire family because I have some of my mother's ashes. So I went back to um, the guy that was doing the funeral and I asked if they could put her ashes back in the vault. And I regret to this day doing that because I did it to appease my sister. And because I wasn't even invited, my daughter and I weren't invited to 
the after service family gathering. And I didn't know they were doing one until my niece asked me if I was coming. And I'm like, I didn't know about it. And so we didn't go because my sister obviously didn't want me there. But I, to this day, I'm just, I'm pissed off about it because my mom was okay with me doing this. I, and she knew why I wanted to do it. And she'd even helped me pick out the glass piece that I was going to have blown with her ashes in it so that I would have that part of my mother with me the rest of my life. And that is, that's my anger part. And you, you had that with the person you didn't even know talking about your mom, but that that's been my anger point is, is, you know, caving in that respect, but you know, the, the, the mom I knew is not the mom that my sister knew and, and our memories are different. And I, I, through therapy have come to just accept that, you know, that's part of my sister's grieving process. And for some people it's getting up and making a big show of everything. And I did this and I did that, or this is, this is, this is who this person was. And nobody knew this, this person, how they really are. Whereas there's others like me that are just like, you know what, I'll just grieve in pub and private and just leave it alone and, and move forward. Yeah. But especially women, I mean, there's how many different parts of ourselves that, that other people don't see. So I've tried to look at it as just being more fascinated by, okay, who did, who did you know my mother to be and how did, how did your relationship build and, and go from there and just trying to respect all of it instead of dissociate it and be disrespectful. Cause I remember how disrespected I felt by my sister. And I'm like, I'm never doing that to someone else. That's terrible. Well, I was pissed off at that woman because she was staring at my mother and I felt totally protective when my mother's lying in a coffin. You weren't supposed to yeah. be there. And it wasn't yeah. up to my parent, uh, sorry, my sister's mother-in-law to bring her in. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You don't take it off oh, your yeah. own bat to bring in your friend yeah. to have a look at a dead woman that's my mum. Like I was furious and it was purely protective. I got up and I almost wanted to jump on, jump over the coffin. That was yeah. my moment with my mother. Piss off. Yeah. I, was, I, I, kind of, I think my sister was kind of that way too because I was sitting out by my sister's pool just trying to get away from everything one day and I went in to, to see how everything was going because we were planning my mom's, my mom's service. And my sister's like, oh, I had a dream and mom came to me and she was in her long flowing gown and she had the aura of an angel and we had a conversation in my dream and I know mom's in a good place. So I just want you to know mom's in a good place. And I'm just like, F you, I have my own relationship with my mom. I don't need you to tell me that. So I'm, I go back outside and I'm sitting by the pool and I'm drinking. I've totally admitted. I was totally drinking out by the side of the pool and I'm just mad. And I'm like, mom, if you can come to my sister with your holier than thou robes, why can't you come to me yourself and show me that you're okay? And not 10 seconds later, a blue dragonfly landed on my knee and stayed there for 10 minutes. And I'm like, now that is my mom speaking to me. I don't need that long flowy gown and the, the aura of the heavenly angels singing an aria behind her. I needed her to speak to me in a language I understood. And Sorry, for me, it's a dragonfly. <laughs> you should see the way she's describing this. Is, I can see it's funny, people. I'm very animated. Um, you know what's interesting, though, that you and your sister are so different, right? Yes, very. Okay. okay. Well, my, you know, I'm sad because my brother and sister do not speak to each other now. They used to be really close, and it's really sad after mum's passing with a stupid will and money, they don't talk to each other. And I'm the yeah. eldest and I now have a relationship better with both of them, of which I'm very protective of both. So I don't talk to, I don't want to talk to either about the other. 
I don't yeah. well, you know what I mean? I'm just gonna have to keep it separate because I don't I would love them to to sort it out and it could be easily sorted out. But if you're listening, get it sorted out. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Tell my them, sister and I are trying. Well, it's gotten you, it was bad after too. my mom died, but no. with my dad, we're trying to we're trying to be I more know. of the united front, but yeah, try to get it sorted out as quick as you can because my dad's death, it, it was a lot more more stressful and more heartbreaking and, and hurtful. But now we're trying to straighten it out a little bit better. That's my point though. You can't grieve when you've got all the crap in the in the drama yeah. going on in the background. Like who yeah. cares about well, and that? And some people just get wrapped up in it and they never want to let oh. go of the anger and the drama. And I'm like, I don't oh. have time for this crap. The best <laughs> the best thing is, you know, when people are trying to take things before the wake's over. <laughs> Can you yeah. please just let us put them to rest? Yeah, <laughs> my my step monster <laughs> was doing that before my dad even died. And I'm just like, really? <laughs> Oh, yes, I call her a set monster. I'm sorry. Ah, yes, it's raw, (laughs) unedited, and it is a Monday. We're letting fly here, I'm telling you. This is, see, this is grief. This is our anger part, and it's our therapy part. No, but there are things in the way people behave. Look, if you shut up and just give your condolences at a service, that's all you need to do, people. Oh, my God. Don't go checking out the dead person in the coffin if you don't need to. No. It's not your business. Anyway. Or judging the service. Yeah, I'm judging <laughs> don't the service. do that. <laughs> anyway, it was fine. Mum went, went. Mum rolled out to Green Green Grass, a home by Tom Jones, because he did ask her out in Wales because she was Welsh. So that was okay. Um, you know, we picked the music and everything. It, 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 look, it's hard because some days it seems – so close and other days it seems so far like my dad's now it's over 10 years and my other dad's about seven but mum sometimes she just it seems really close it's just yeah I do think that profound loss changes you mm. and it's up to you to determine how and um, nobody else can tell you how it will change you um but you will never be the same no, you won't no be matter the same. what, with no. with profound loss, you are not the same person. No, look, and I if think... people don't understand it, that's their problem, not yours, because you will never be the same. Yeah, and as I said, don't let anybody tell you how to feel, and just one day at a time again, like sobriety. Okay, yeah. I think I think, all right, I think we'll wrap this up now because my cheeks are starting to hurt from laughing. Instead, <laughs> you talk about grief, you end up laughing. I thought this was going to be full of tears. Mind you, well, got- you know, I am squirrel monkey, so there's going to be laughter somewhere in there. <laughs> I know. Well, you know what? And you and I love to do that. We use yeah. our humor all the time. And that's what I love about it. And that's why I love your dad. I love that down to earthness. And, you know, yeah. you got to laugh through it because it's all going to happen to everyone. I'm just saying when your number's up, your number's up. That's the way. Go with the flow. That's one thing I've learned, I think, from being in healthcare is you have to learn to laugh mm. to get through the pain. So we're sick and twisted individuals. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we hope you love us. We hope you come back. And I am King signing off. And I would like to say goodbye from my friend, Squirrel monkey. Bye. Thanks, guys. (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys. And remember, pour the poison down the sink and come back for part two. That was pour the poison down the sink. And I'll see you again. Bye from King. See you. Bye.